to Stan Ontology, a K-pop podcast. Uh, I remain Claudia. I'm still here. <laughs> See, that's setting up for me no longer remaining something, which is true. I've changed my name. I'm Alexis. Um, you can still call me Regs, though. Um, how about it? It's been a year. It's literally been a year. It's been a while. The world but- has changed. My audio setup has changed. My (laughs) microphone reluctantly will record me. We're ready. Gremlins aside, we are ready to conquer the the mountain that is telling you, dear listener, what happened in the last year and maybe a bit more of K-pop. Wait, Um, wait, time is is fake. Uh, So it's fine. It's so many things are fake, but time especially so. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, talking about K-pop in 2021 feels weird because I can remember kind of the beginning of it and the sort of the end and this big fuzzy bit. <laughs> Don't worry, I've gone, I've done some homework to like figure out what happened when yeah. I was apparently asleep for months, but that's okay. I, I mean, who are we to say otherwise? Um, I think that's very good evidence that we're all asleep for months, but beyond that, like, you know, yeah. um, Last year was weird. Last year was fucking strange. Um, and would you know it, it meant that K-pop was strange along with it. Um, wow. So yeah, like, it's first thing to do was like, how does an industry deal with a fucking massive pandemic? And the answer is like, not very well. <laughs> I think I think in 2020, you know, there was enough of like pre-scheduled stuff, like stuff that they had clearly been working on beforehand that... It was somewhat, I mean, obviously there were disruptions. Obviously, you know, concerts got cancelled. There were delays. Uh, you know, concerts all hastily moved virtual. But there was enough, it felt like, enough of a backlog that they could kind of lean on that. 2021, mm-hmm. no such thing. Yeah. Um, people were having to do their production work in lockdowns. Um, mm-hmm. And then start to build a new infrastructure for, like, what digital interaction could be on the fly which is a strange and difficult thing to do but yeah it meant that we got a massive wave of virtual concerts um and this big accelerated push towards ar and vr technologies um a, a very funny seeing them essentially taken from the hatsune miku playbook which is yep. always a good one to be drawing from um but also just like a lot accompanying with it a lot of the like uh ar and vr aesthetics like leaking into the normal um promotional cycle yeah. um, i mean we we definitely still got the releases of full albums and such but it also felt like there were just a lot of more smaller fragmented releases mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like singles digital singles uh where you might have seen maybe before like a mini or an ep and the and of course the uh, end of year crunch seemed crunchier than normal um, just a lot of work crammed into a very short period, and also weird music shows because, like, obviously the live ener- the live audience isn't there, so the energy is really different. Yeah, if there was one thing that was keeping me out of like really being in love with a lot of K-pop last year was specifically like performances were just slightly dead, like piped in audio mm. noise. Sorry, pi- piped in audience noise is not quite the same vibe, um, and that and that is a, a genuine loss, but. Hey, we made up for and it, it in and it shows um, ways, yeah. in the performance but oh yeah right sorry as as you were saying hey we did get well fed in terms of just weird video formats and like talk show-esque 
yeah. kind of things. So but... many like closed production stage versions. So many yep. like people. Ra- what the, the the replacement for having actual crowds and energy in music shows was ramping up the production budgets massively, um, yep. or at least replacing the budget that went on to managing and getting a crowd in. Um, yeah. To making the set the the set the the set very nice and shiny. Mm-hmm. Speaking, Speaking of, of shiny. shiny hey! Uh, yeah, the we, overlap we is that real. One. That was great. Dear God. Um, the rehearsals <laughs> paid off. <laughs> so yeah, like, first up, uh, three of the four members of Shiny left their mandatory military service during the year and came back to basically try and take over. Yeah. I would say successfully. Yes, uh, it, it, like on on the whole, it's been a, a like a moment of return for a bunch of second gen groups. Like mm-hmm. we've had uh, twenty one, not quite uh, reuniting, but like the members all reappearing in various different ways. CL coming back, then being in a big way. back together. Uh, we've got Big Bang, who are like threatening a comeback literally right now. Um, <laughs> varying degrees of like success and, and interests are accompanying the like big wave that's happening right now. I think it's, there's something quite natural about. Either the mandatory military service thing for Shiny, like, timing when they reappear on the scene. Also, just, like, that, like, decade-long cycle of contracts, meaning people are, like, coming back from their old guises at this point in time. But, yeah, Shiny came out with an album, a repackage, and then a whole-ass load of solo material. So much solo work. All of which was pretty spectacular. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Oh. Sort of a place that, for us, like, it's pretty necessary to start there, yeah. Oh, which I feel like I should include the uh, the kind of, like, what is the premise of this whole episode thing. So that oh, yeah. our usual disclaimer, much like our songs of 2020, is that we're not really in the business of necessarily just talking about the best songs of 2021. Um, but I think we wanted to pick out things that we found interesting to discuss, especially in hindsight. Yeah, right. like there were. Well, I mean, obviously certain... that includes some like real banger tracks. But... Oh yeah, but there's just sort of like the things you need to talk about the shape of the year. Um, and, and with that out of the way, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Don't call me, which was their big comeback uh, title and also album of the same name, was really fun. Very fun. <laughs> I think at this point, fairly well known that it was actually originally a Boa track before Minho mm-hmm. was like, give it to us. <laughs> which is which is interesting because like it is very, it doesn't sound like the shiny sound, which I would pin really as like expert, like really like R&B influenced uh, K-pop with that experimental kind of edge. Like that 
feels like the 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 kind of in a nutshell summary I would give of shiny to somebody. Mm-hmm. Don't call me is not, but it is experimental. But it's not what I would call R and B. No, it's it. We got Taemin rapping at various points. Like we ended up in a in a strange, interesting space where they were like, it felt they were feeding back a bunch of the more like trad, dramatic R and B into what's really just a hip hop track. Not and and that's <laughs> not a bad thing by any means. It's just like a very surprising thing to hear them on, and they just sort of bent it in their in their direction really, really successfully. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it kind of did the works. It did the numbers. It got the accolades. Like, yeah, really, really big, important single. And of course, there are the B-sides on that album are also great and yes. also lean far more towards the like, quote unquote, classic shiny sound. There's Code For You, which apparently they all love. There's yes. uh, uh, Marry You, which is fun. I think also Atlantis from the repack is very yeah. much more... Like kind squarely of the stuff they the, were putting out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the sort of like post-Tropical House, like dancey, shiny R&B, R&B pop music. Yeah, that's entirely in Shiny's wheelhouse. But it was fun to see them come back and kind of go, okay, what are the new trends and how can we marry that with a thing we've always done? Which felt very much like a like a welcome return. And I don't just mean like in terms of the music, but also it marked the kind of return to like the entertainment public sphere like so many appearances on tv shows youtube shows uh uh hosting they're just like all over the place and putting out all of the content you would associate i think with a with a comeback nowadays like the obligatory like music video reactions and the uh relay dances etc but in a way that was a lot of fun because again they've been in this industry for like a decade Decade plus at this point. Yeah. Them bickering is just like one of the best bits in the, the whole. On you clowning yeah. on Timmons' piano part in the yes. really dance <laughs> will live with me forever. Uh, it's great. Yeah. Um, th- this is a fun moment to just like sideline, contrast like, th- there's always been like funny, like semi jokes about how Kim Minho like don't get on. Mm-hmm. They like clearly do, but in a way that is like, bickery and, and, and antagonistic in right. ways. It's very much, they do now. Yeah, exactly. But very obviously at some point, they didn't. Yeah. And they're very public about it too, which is... Yeah. It, it's also funny when this is also like a couple weeks after Winner started talking in public about the fact that like they just, they're, they're a professional relationship and don't actually deal with any of each other's lives outside of the professional work, which is just like, oh yeah, that, that industry can just 100% produce those kinds of relationships. And it's right. so much more pleasant when they don't. It's so much more pleasant when the uh, artists like each other, you know? <laughs> I mean, but also the fact that they're willing to expose, I think, some of the artifice behind that image, because it is a very big part of the marketing around these is, is part of the ideas that, oh, they're all besties with each other. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, they're co-workers. So, uh, speaking of exposing the artifice, we're, <laughs> we're so fucking on it with the segues today. Um the uh, well, let's you know uh, I teed up the segue and now I'm gonna uh, I'm using so many mixed metaphors here I'm gonna just barrel on onwards and say I'm not gonna talk about Key's uh, solo release I'm gonna talk about Temin's first mm, yes uh, because Temin was on his bullshit because this is what he does um, he prior to enlistment himself because he is of course the youngest in the group so enlisted later um, was ridiculously active um, getting 
so many releases out in the last uh, few months before he finally enlisted. Yeah, just to do- count them, just to count yeah. them, right? Don't Call Me in February, uh, repackaged comeback Atlantis, I want to say April? I could be wrong. I think it was a bit earlier. Um, squeezed in a Japanese single slash five track mini uh, release superstar in between all of that. Then Timon comes out with his uh, his solo single, um, which also has a, a, a EP, a mini attached with it, which is pretty good. Um, uh, and of course that, uh, that comeback also has the associated, you know, multiple performance videos, a couple of award show, I think, like a couple of yep. TV show performances, um, that, that usual circuit. And then it, to the point where a lot of these were actually coming out after he had already enlisted, like that's how much yeah. material he had queued up. It was kind of an assault, but... I think we were all very, very grateful for it because we're not going to get him for another, like, 18 months, which is sad. Yeah. But until then, we can just chew up our advice, which is an exceptionally good single. It's, like, hitting all the highlights of Temin, which is, like, high drama, um, almost gothic, uh, like, anxious, big, bold, melodramatic emotions, um, like flying between like classical piano and like very danceable hip-hop um as well as like incredible really arch really elegant and hot performance dance and uh outfits Of the of the title tracks that he's known for, right? Like this advice pushes it into I'm, as a listening experience, if you will. Like to listen to it, it almost feels uncomfortable, but I think that actually fits really well. Like it's it's got that really high pitched, distorted um, finish in the chorus. It's also very repetitive. You don't hear it a lot, um, and I think both of those actually serve really really well to reinforce that whole central feeling of anxiety and things going wrong and spiraling out of your control. Uh, it's great. He was robbed uh, to not get a nomination for best solo performance in the uh, uh, Mama Awards 2021, but that's okay. We all know who would have won. We all know who would have won. <laughs> um, just have to give a shout out to the the uh, Balenciaga crop jumper, which is one of the iconic oh, yeah. looks of the... Uh, sorry, Supreme. Was it Supreme? Yeah, Supreme Supreme crop top under a cropped hoodie there with the go. runny makeup. Yes, exactly. Um, iconic look. Um, just one of the absolute best of the year. This is like, this is Temin in, the, I'd say cruise control, but also it's just like incredible how like high wire acts, like untouchable he is, doing things that seem like utterly distinctly his. Um, mm-hmm. Marrying like the the effortless style of like want and move with the like heady gothic anxiety stuff of like criminal. Um, it's great. It's great. He could do this for forever and I'd always be here for it. 
In a way um, that feels like you can see the steady evolution of where he's oh, been yeah. going with his with how he wants to express his like art and his artistry, his performance, the kind of aesthetic he wants to push, the music he wants to produce. It's great. It's yeah. been great watching that happen, and I hope he comes back, uh, you know, healthy and ready to uh, keep going. Yeah, exactly. And we've heaped all this praise and advice, and it's not even the best solo track that um, that shiny members have put out. Exactly, it's kind of kind of stupid because Keys right? Bad Love is probably one of the tracks of the year. Uh, Keys Bad Love for me is the track of the year. Yeah, and there we go. I, there we go. That's it's the answer. Been, <laughs> it's been years since I, I. So I, I actually have very few K-pop uh, physical albums. I don't buy them very often. Mm-hmm. Um, Bad Love was one where I saw it and I kind of like heard heard the, the title and went immediately. We went like, I need to own this. Yeah, because even like, even in the world of extravagant K-pop physical releases, this is this is something else. Uh, so we should probably explain what it is. Yeah. So Bad Love is Key's attempt to do what has been broadly described as the neutro trend, which is the like up new being literally N E W new updated versions of retro. In this case, referring to that sort of like eighties dance pop, like synth pop sound. Um, so like big on the 16th chugging bass lines, uh, splashy drum machines, shiny big retro synths. Um, and yeah, this is exactly where the song is. It just happens to be not only one of the most like muscular and impressive and vocally spectacular versions of that that anyone's put out in this in this like little lane this year. Um, it's also just like one of the most like visually like inventive, smart yeah. and also like comically incisive tracks yeah come out in a yeah, while yeah Um, it's great. You, it feels like Key listened to the Summer of Disco, you know, from last year, and was like, "I like that. I don't care that it's quote unquote over. I'm doing it." Yep. <laughs> I just did it better. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. It's it's really really good. Um, I should mention, so so now I can explain because the whole idea of, about it is this kind of. Uh, uh, this, this whole neutral idea. So the uh, the version of the album I got, of course, there are multiple physical releases of this thing. Because why wouldn't you? It was called the um, I got the box version, and it's done up to look like an old VCR uh, box with like a big uh, kind of like B movie horror movie style poster for the track listing. Um, it comes with. Uh, photo cards, which are done to look like collectible kind of like trading cards. There was a version that had the kind of like, what's it called? Like the blister pack uh, that was called the Space Raygun version. There was also a cassette tape version. There's a version of this album that's just straight up on a cassette. I was so close to buying it. So my partner looked at me and was like, you, you can't play that. And I was like, yeah, I know. When I buy the CD, I won't be playing the CD either. It's all on Spotify. <laughs> you just got to That is it, utterly immaterial <laughs> 
I just want to have it. I just want to have it. And it feels yep. so right for this yep. album to have a cassette version. Uh, Key understood the assignment. That's what I'm saying. Exactly, yes. Um, part of the assignment... And he, he was... also seems to be enjoying it so much. Oh, yeah. He's absolutely living it. Yeah. I mean, um, obviously projecting enjoyment on people whose job it is to perform enjoyment uh, is fraught. But... It... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, part of his job, though, is to be, like, scenery-chewing, absolutely, like... You know, the, the the part of the video is mocking the whole industrial, like, promotional cycle. Part of it is all about the, like, ridiculous artifice and how much he just, like, walks all over it in playing the K-pop Joker. Um, yeah. It's Which I it's believe fun. he, like, he says publicly, like, in uh, talk shows about the single, that he was not trying to reference the Joker uh, because there's a part of the music video where there's a sort of a talk show set. Um, anyway, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, regardless, that's the thing that's going to be associated with. Yeah, exactly. But in terms rather, of breaking but, that kind of barrier. Yeah. Rather than it being like gratuitous, ridiculous, like destruction for the sake of destruction. It's like so clear. He knows exactly like both in, um, like the mockery that he's doing of like a James Corden ass late night uh, late night talk show, but also in the like degree to which he's just like frivolously making fun of all the like high concept videos, at the same time as executing like high concept look visual stuff himself like impeccably, yeah. is so good. Like obviously it's the like the very standard stuff of like performing on the set of someone else's music video, um, performing on the stage of a fake talk show. Like, all of this is, like, basic-ass moves, but, like, they're very effective because he's in on the joke so hard and, like, is, like, very, very good at communicating it. The the, the track it immediately made me, made me um, think of is uh, Sunmi's Noir. And anytime someone mm-hmm. is, like, pushing into the same space of, like, very self-aware, very in control, and still aesthetically, like, beautifully compelling... Um, that's just a really fucking good space to be in. Like, I'd reach back to Gaian for someone else who was, like, similarly, like, in control of their aesthetic and also self-aware of it. Um, and, yeah, it's very rare that you find people working at that level, and it's very, very cool that Key is. There. It also feels like such a kind of... Reward feels like the wrong thing because it's not exactly, like, an endpoint, right? Like, this is a, a milestone, we'll call it, of watching <laughs> him... Because kind of the thing about Key I've, I've always felt is um, that he's always been sort of over overshadowed by other members in his group. Like, he's an incredible dancer. Um, unfortunately, he's in the same group as Taemin. He's a really good singer. He's a good vocalist. Unfortunately, he was in the same group as Onyu and uh, Jonghyun. He can rap, but he most of the rap parts uh, for Shiny Songs go to Minho. Um, he's also like fairly like fluent in English, but Shiny is not a group that ever had an international or at least Western push. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, generally is not a thing people know about him. And he's talked publicly as well about like uh, him struggling with finding his kind of niche and his sort of voice within the group itself. But obviously you can extrapolate from that into the industry and like what is going to be his thing when so many of the other like common... Uh, positions as it were in the group have been taken up by other members and so you know we've known since uh god when was it it was like i think it was the view video that shiny members started being able to have more directorial say over what their 
what it kind of appeared in those videos, uh, what they looked like in those concerts, and key, and by shiny had more input, I really mean key picked their stage outfits. Yep, yep. <laughs> like, yeah, like, and he, he's been very known for his fashion. Yeah. But I feel like for Bad Love in particular, you feel all of that coming in full force, like the way he wants to, that choreo, the sounds, the songs. Um, he you know, said that he specifically requested that this track be written for him. Mm-hmm. Um, the styling, like you can kind of see his, 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 his fingerprints all over kind of every aspect of this. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, this isn't this like what was happening on Face, which is why it was such an amazing album. Mm-hmm. But um, it's like pointed and directed in such a specific and targeted way here. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a great release and a really really extraordinarily good single. Yeah. Shoutouts to Helium also off off the same uh, mini. That's just fun. Yeah, good. I I mean we could keep gushing about frankly all of this. Like I think Yellow Tape and Hate That as a like a trio mm. to start the record is incredible. Um, Hate That being a sort of like implicit successor to the Crush collab one of these nights. Uh, yes. One of those nights. One of those nights. One of these nights is a Red Velvet track. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Go watch the music video for Bad Love. You won't regret it. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So oh. those are the two shiny soloists. We managed. Oh, to I guess Minho did put out a, <laughs> a, a single release. It was fine. Yeah, it was a Minho release. What do you expect? Um, Onyu is coming out in the next couple of weeks or so with his first big, um, I, I call it, it's not his first solo release, but it is the first one that I think is going to be pop music instead of ballads exclusively. Hmm, interesting. I hadn't looked at the track list. Yeah, I, I, it's probably worth mentioning a lot of the, outside of um, Jonghyun and Taemin, a lot of the other Shiny member solo releases were done actually like really hurriedly and very rushed just before they enlisted back in, uh, God. 2018. Oh my 2018, god. 1819, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I stared into the time vortex for a moment. Don't worry. No, it, it, it is 2019 because that's when Key's repackage came out. That's when Onyu's Blue, I think, came out. Um, uh, that that uh, makes some sense, but it's still absolutely terrifying. Yeah. But it is nice to see them being able to kind of come out with their solo projects now in a time frame where it's not hyper-compressed and with the kind of promotional cycle and care and attention that, frankly, they deserve. Yeah, exactly. So I'm really excited to see where they all go from here. Wonderful, yeah. So yeah, we've, we've the, 2021, to... very much a, a, a solid year for soloists. I yeah. mean, we say that, like, every year, but <laughs> that's because yeah. it's true. It, very, very much so. So beyond the shiny members, we have a bunch of people to hear. Um, and again, they often fall into like the two groups of like soloists who are doing side projects out of groups and soloists who are soloists and that's what they do. That's their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of all the like people doing like side projects from groups, Hoshi Spider was the one that stood out. Um, yeah, for sure. One of the most extraordinary chore- choreographies um, to go with a song that like has some of the sort of like tubbiness and like cumbersome, like ploddy nature that I find sometimes afflicts a 17 track or two. But I can forgive it because, hey, the old Shining solos have similar issues sometimes. And the choreo is just so spectacular. Like, who fucking cares? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, if I say for, for Bad Love, Bad Love is one of the few songs where I'm like, the MV is better than the 
than the performance video. Hoshi's uh, Spider definitely watched the performance video over the MV. Like that is a choreography that was designed with the camera frame in mind, um, <laughs> which is just a lot of fun because the uh, the choreo uh, uses this like central prop of like monkey bars, I guess. Yeah. Was forming a square frame over which like, he positions his body and then the bodies of the backup dancers with him to form a web, right, to dance against because it's, it's called Spider. It's it's a song about like being trapped or feeling entrapped uh, kind of in a relationship. Um, and But outside of using the obvious frame, like metal frame, they also use the frame of the camera as, a, as something to play with. So, you know, you think you're looking straight on a single frame, then the camera moves, oh, it's actually a whole perfectly placed row of them. Uh, and they just kind of play with that and play with framing of the, obviously the song, positions of bodies and space, and then also with the camera itself in that choreo video. And it's really spectacular. Definitely yep. worth your while to watch. Yeah, so good. So, so good. Um... And also feels like ambitious in a way that makes me also very happy for Hoshi. Oh yeah, exactly. Like, I think this is always the thing that has, has like, inspired him. Like, he's always, ex- hey, we kept talking about Shiny. He's always talked about how Temin in particular, but Shiny in general is, like, the, the the scale of ambition and performance is the thing that has, like, always inspired him. And it feels like, yeah, he's kind of nailing it. Um, mm-hmm. 17 as a group have never been, like, in deficit for that sort of stuff. But, like, get him getting to show it out is always very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next up, I think, is IU, who, um probably put out the most perfect album this year. Um, I say that almost like perfect is a pejorative. Like this album is absolutely impeccable. Um, IU is incapable of putting out a bad track. Uh, we were talking about her album Lilac. Yeah. Which we went over trying to like, is there a single song you want to pick out? And then we were going over it being like, oh, I don't remember if I liked, you know, Blue or not, and then we listened to it. So I know, actually, it's great. And then we went like, "Oh, mm, I, I don't remember if I really liked like Coin." And then we listened to it. actually, that's great too. And it was like that for every single track in the album. It was kind of hilarious. Yeah, it's it's very funny. Just how like, oh no, it's just all pitch perfect, and that's how it is. Um, mm-hmm. like she had her like venture towards the like. Neutro sounds. Hers was more of like a city pop, um, like disco yeah. funk, funk style thing, rather than that like big synth pop stuff. Last Lilac, that's the title track. It's really excellent. Celebrity is one of those incredible tracks that makes me into the, the like horrid um, future based sound that I normally am allergic to. And this somehow makes it acceptable and kind of compelling. Um, it's just a very, very good track. Um, but again, like she's very, very good at what she does.
the only thing you could maybe ding this for is releasing a track called Flu uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, but. I mean, like, sometimes you've got to, I don't know. <laughs> but really, yeah, like, cheesy comparisons of, like, I've got the flu, uh, and then comparing flu symptoms to being heartsick is like, I, I'll forgive you for that one. That was, yeah. That's fine, frankly. It, it's, it's weak, but also, like, I don't think I've ever been afraid of, like, chucking in, like, Stuff that might otherwise be considered trite. That's not a that's not a failure in her book, I don't think. Absolutely not. No. Um I just want to talk about um uh Lee Hai then. Oh yeah, she's she's been let out of the uh dungeon finally and boy has she made the most of it. Um Yeah. I legitimately thought like, oh, Lehi is you know lo- no longer with the old label. Maybe we'll get a couple of like single releases, maybe we'll get a an EP or something. No, whole ass album. With collaborations all over the place, too, right? Like, yeah. not just... She's been busy. So very much, like, kind of more R&B, very much playing to her strengths. Um, the album is called Four Only. Uh, title track was Savior, I think, uh, featuring B.I. Yeah, and then Only itself was the, the like... I, th- I don't want to say, like, Creeper single. I think it was, the like, the second one that came out <laughs> um, and then just sort of semi-blew up. Um just like it a is very, the one like, that exploded, I think, in popularity. Yeah. But, but th- for that, good reasons. Yeah, it's just like the most like gorgeous, sumptuous, calm, rolling R&B ballad. It's, yeah. like Everyone needs a waltz ballad in their life sometimes. And this was a very, very good one. Um, yeah. Let it be known, Stan Ontology noted, noted ballad haters. Listened to only a one. But yeah, no, it's, it's the sort of thing where like, the, I remember like being so fucking in love with Hollow from her from 2020, mm-hmm. and just like that also is a it's a marginally more up tempo waltz ballad, um, and just like knowing that like this was the story of how she was like fucking leaving behind the both personal and commercial bullshit that was like plaguing her for years in what should have been the height of her career, um, and just seeing her doing her thing, just seeing her like getting to express the things she wants to do in art is just very, very nice. And like, yeah, it's trad. It's, it's not particularly like remarkable or extraordinary. It's just very good. And that's cool. Mm-hmm. Speaking um, of other people who just do things that are very good the way they want to do them. Yeah. Send me. Whew. Like we weren't going to talk about soloists without mentioning Send me. Um Yeah. So she came back with a, a mini um, in 2021, one sixth, one slash six, literally. Uh, and that was like a, 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 I mean, like not really drastic because I think Pori Param and kind of Lala Lay kind of ease that transition, but it's it's uh, much more disco, like just much yes. more disco. The mm-hmm. title track, You Can't Sit With Us, is is that. I, I don't know what else to say. Um, <laughs> other than that, the MV for that is also a lot of fun. It involves Sumi. It, it's like using a zombie break, like a, a yeah outbreak of zombies as a metaphor for a ex who won't leave you alone. Yep. And features her kicking ass with like a hot pink gun. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Give all cool uh, female solo K-pop artists big pink guns. This is the thing that needs to happen. Just, with know. which to blast away their metaphorical exes. Exactly. Or literal. I, I'll take either. <laughs> uh. 
Um, important to shout out uh, track number six, Borderline, which <laughs> initially came out probably a full two years ago as like a a single one-off release. And uh, not even that, a fully as like a, yeah. before that as a concert-only song. Yeah, exactly. And it's very explicit talking about her, her like BPD or talking towards her BPD diagnosis and like it falls into like one of the many like times where she very specifically but broadly some of the like the most interesting K-pop artists have taken the taking the time to like properly work through mental illness in really interesting and complex ways in their music. Um, I don't think it's like a, a, like a particularly spectacular track. It's just like very clearly immensely personal, really emotionally impactful. And it's just something that I wanted to exist in the world specifically because like I've been, I've been waiting for that track to release every, ever since people have been like starting to shout about it. From, from live shows ever since you put out that like one-off video for it um it's just very cool that it's like out there in the world now yeah and i'm really really glad for her that she's in a place where she feels like she can put this out in a release into the into the world and have people listen to it and kind of exactly yeah talk about it and connect with it and that's that's really that's really something yeah mm-hmm. um i we also have to add in one of her biggest claims to fame this year Oh, sorry, this year, uh, from 2021, was a very, very strong shout for best advert song of the year, Go or Stop, <laughs> which was for Kia. Um, yeah. She did not have to go that hard. She did not have no. to go that hard for a Kia song. I, it was a lot of fun. You know, tune in again next year to, to our songs of 2022 when we will have a special section, best ad song of the year. I, I, we already have a very good candidate from it. We won't spoil anything. It's for... For, for late discussion, but, you know, it's, it's one to keep an eye out on. Um, when songs start actively activating Claudia's East Asian government or municipal initiative uh, jingle. Yeah, I was, you, you sent me this track and I was like, and you were like, okay, this is great. I'm like, okay, it is. But the chorus twigs my, this is an advert, rate <laughs> flag in a way I cannot describe, but like I, it, it just lives within me and I'm like, I can't, yeah. I can't not class it as an ad song. I'm so sorry. And then we discovered afterwards it was. Um, yeah. Hey, you're going to have to wait a full ass year to find out what that song is. It's very good though. Do your research. Maybe you'll figure it out. Um, um, but that, yeah. yeah, no, ad, song, ad songs are fun because they either like super duper phone it in or they go way harder than yeah than they had any right to yeah uh, Sumi's come a long way since K-Food Party <laughs> with the Wonder Girls um, does this redeem K-Food Party maybe maybe uh, to be honest I don't think K-Food Party needed redemption I think it oh, needed that's... like affectionate <laughs> like, an affectionate pat on the head to be honest not much more than that uh, now I'm just thinking about K-Food Party it's Speaking of things that have stuck around (laughs) in our heads for just a long, long year. um, Yeah. See, we were also thinking about when we were planning this, like, you know, what what would we... I think we're dispensing this year with a song of the year. We just have a list of songs. Um, I say having already declared my song of the year. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but album of the year, we kind of sat down and went, actually the album of the year is just still Carencia. Yeah, we, that we didn't really, I think we talked about it as like, oh, it's going to take something special to beat this. And nothing even more special came through. 
like there was just nothing nearly as strange and cool and ambitious at all this year. Like, I, obviously, like I will say that Shiny probably stacks up against it for like quality and competence, like perfectly well. It's just that like no K-pop albums were like making me go, oh shit in the way that Corentia still is now. I think it's an exceptionally good pop album. Uh, to the point where, like, the sort of thing it reminds me of having been listening to the, the this record in the last couple of days and the last week or so since it's out, is, like, the new Rosalia project, which has got a similar ability to, like, throw together artist and genre and form in a way that just is surprising and cool and, like, sticks in your ears because it's, like, feels so fresh. Quarantia is doing that for me still right now. Even when it goes like between more like chugging traditional trad stuff um, all the way through to like the like drill and bassy ass interludes. That that like breadth is welcome, but it manages to be like tied together relatively consistently and also just like fundamentally undergirded by like one of the most charismatic and coolest performers in the industry right now. Which uh, I feel like I should mention at this point, like when when we're all talking about like the 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 best album, the most, we don't just mean in terms of the strengths of the songs contained within it, right? Like it matters. I mean, it feels pretty elementary to be saying this, right? But like it matters the order in which they're arranged, the way that this <laughs> thing is presented as a cohesive whole, and like it seems obvious, I know, but like this is one of those places where I do legitimately think the kind of demands of the industry and the pace of the industry does it in this aspect now obviously again you can argue and i think pretty fairly that like this is not really a thing most people care about anymore especially because you know our listening habits change we don't usually get like the one album and listen to it on a loop in order it's much more common for us to be listening to like playlists uh to you know rely on things like recommended uh recommender all uh engines so we're kind of listening to songs out of context, I guess, like not in the context yeah, yeah. of an album, right? Mm-hmm. Which is totally fine. I do it too, right? But uh, the the K-pop industry, in particular, I think, kind of leans towards that with especially the repack cycle, where in the repack, a a track reshuffling feels almost mandatory. Mm-hmm. So even when you do get albums, like I would argue, uh, NCT uh, uh, one two seven. Oh no, which one was it? <laughs> you know the one with the orange front. You know the one I'm talking about. Uh, kick uh, it. Neo Zone. It Kick It was the title for Neo Zone. Oh, so uh, there we go. There we go. Yes. Yeah. I know what like, you're talking about. Like, like the, the original album, I thought like was well presented. Like had felt like it had an arc. Like felt like it had a journey. Repack came out. And I was like, okay, this is all scattered all over the place. I do not know what's going on anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Corinthia didn't have that, and I think that is one of its huge strengths. That it was allowed to stand alone, and it was just. <laughs> designed to stand alone as a unit yeah exactly which very much gives me the like more than the sum of its parts feeling yeah totally it's a it's like a long thing it's 21 tracks it's one full hour um with interludes to like break it up and structure how each section feels which i think is just like one of the best decisions because it allows like both breathing space it allows for like arcs within the album running running time it also allows for just like tone setting experimentations and sound design like sight see unknown it's just like I did not expect a sort of like fucking 160 BPM like IDME drum and bass bit in the middle of my K-pop album, and I have it now. And it, yeah, it's it's setting up the like fun party bit of the album, but it does it so damn successfully. I'm so grateful for for it being there because it just like yeah, like absolutely does the work you need to make the album work. 
And that's like, ex when I, this is what I mean when I say, when I talk about an album being ambitious, it's like clearly got like serious intentionality about how it wants to structure itself, how it wants to present itself as a cohesive unit, as well as also just like include a bunch of bangers. And it does both, it does both so successfully. Congratulations, uh, Carencia, for taking undisputed title, uh, the title of undisputed album of the year for truly all of 2021. <laughs> like, just the whole dang thing. Yep. Side C Unknown is one of my favorite tracks off of it. Like, the interlude, not the songs that come after, like, the actual interlude. Yeah, exactly, Fun. exactly. <laughs> uh. <sighs> Um, okay, I've run out of segues for the next bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know we have one. We need to do the fucking SM schedule check-in because we are basic and we have uh, like uh, like fully cards on the table, interest in figuring out what the hell is going on with our faves. Yep. Uh, we'll uh, talk about the faves in a bit because the most interesting things happening with SM were not the boys this year. Uh, we talked about yeah. Shiny more than enough. Let's talk about Got the Beat. Um, so, so got the beat. Yeah, we, uh, we, we we started off with currency being like, I would take something very hard to dislodge. This as track as the album of the year might take something very hard to dislodge. Step back is one of the songs of the year. Mm -hmm. well, well, okay, technically released first of January twenty twenty two, but like, it's fine. <laughs> we all know the first month or two or possibly three of the following year actually counts as the year before. The, or, 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 or alternatively, we stick it to it, and then we see whether anything matches up for the entire rest of this year. And like that's yeah. that's that's a challenge. Yeah. So, sorry, got the beat, uh, which by the way, got G O T all caps because it stands for girls on top. So really, it's girls on top. The beat. Uh, Impeccable uh, group name. Oh, following in the great tradi grand tradition of SM supergroups is a, you can think of it really as the female equivalent to Super M. Again, plagued with the excellently SM name. It is a supergroup composed of all of their, really, I think, the the uh, most well-known, um, extremely talented performers from all four generations of K-pop girl groups under the SM banner. Yeah, we've got Boa, um, we've got Hyoyeon and Taeyeon from Girls' Generation, We've got Wendy and Sugi from Red Velvet, and we've got Karina and Winter from Esper. And they play off each other so damn well. Um, it's so good. It's so good. Um, like, there are, do you want to just like talk about the lyrics very quickly so we can just like have that on the table? Just yeah, just to, just to get it out of the way real quick. Um, yeah. The as is, I think, really common for uh, uh, supergroups composed of all women. It did have that kind of like. Girl boss, yeah. girls on top. It's in the name, right? Like it's that kind of marketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that kind of marketing. And then the song came out, and then the lyrics. It turns out it's the song's called "Step Back." Uh, it turns out the lyrics elaborate. It's "Step Back from My Man," and so we'll say that some people, myself included, were a little bit disappointed to be like, "Okay, you've got this like fantastic collection of talent. You've got this." Uh, uh, a, a female supergroup that seems to be about like, you know, 
I don't know, celebrating the power of women. It feels so fraught. It's also very corporate. So like, you know, the, were my hopes high? No, my hopes were higher than like, and their first uh, singles lyrics will be all about how women should fight each other for the affections of a man. I was like, you could, you could try harder. But the track is also really, really good. So who cares? I can just not think about the lyrics too hard. Um, Yeah, God, this track is so excellent. But the the track is so, uh, like, yeah, again, like, having all the talent, as Jopping showed, having all your talent in one place doesn't mean much if the track can't stand up to it. Exactly. Um, And this track is, like, incredible platform for all of them and, like, their specific, like, strengths. Um, Like... It's so incredible. The, the moment that sticks out for me is the bridge because it's a bridge where it sort of like works through the vocalist to try and hit the um, like apex at the right time. So like starts off with Boa and then moves on to, is that uh, Winter? I think. Uh, I don't know the um, Esper girls quite as well as the previous generations yet. Um, then Wendy and then like Wait, it's gone through the entire vocal bridge and you haven't used Sugi and Teo. Like, what the fuck is happening? Like, that yeah. is bonkers to me. Like, obviously what it does then is go for an extended bridge, uh, well, ex- extended pre-chorus with a rap break, then a dance break, and then use them to pick it up into the final chorus. Like, it's structured really intelligently around knowing how much ex- exceptional talent it has, it has to use. But, um, yeah, my God. Um, also, yeah, Hyoyeon still fucking kicks ass. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I I cannot say enough good things about pretty much all of them as performers. kind of sold me on Esper as performers more. Both Karina and Winter like show out in their own ways here, in ways that stack up really well and make me think that the the confusion and muddiness I get about the personality that comes out of Esper solo releases is a problem with the Esper tracks and songwriting and not a problem with them as performers. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully it'll do the thing that happens over time with most K-pop groups, which is the songs become less overbearing of the performers' personalities over time. We'll get to see yeah. more of them as, 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 as individuals. But yeah, um, this is just Before we move on uh, in the direction that this conversation clearly wants to go in, uh, I am super excited to see what else uh, they put out under this kind of group. Yeah, it would Uh, be negligent if they just, like, dropped this off with very, very little to to work with. mm -hmm. Um, It might be worth, before we go on the Esper train, um, talking about what I think we can start picking out as a new SM song template. Um, which isn't a very mm, yes. like drastic change, but back in, I think it would have been episode four. Don't quote me on that. I think it was episode four. Whichever episode we talked about EXO's monster in, we talked about a sort of like soft Six. template for, oh, wow. We did, we, we did a lot of groundwork then. Um, oh, four was our little SM like, like ramp up. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in the monster episode, we talked about the sort of like low key template that was going on with a bunch of like mid 2010s SM, tracks that has like survived more or less intact for a long time which goes something on the lines of modal interchange particularly major minor interchange um and ambiguity um 
and uh, what do you call it? Um, chromaticism in the bassline and an attempt to like slot particularly hip hop drums into this sort of like pop format that is meant to be able to show up vocalists. And that works really well. Like shiny, shiny Sherlock is sort of like, like ground zero for it in my head. And um, like monster probably is the pinnacle of it in my head, Mm -hmm. but like it's a version of this is really evident through a lot of the very recent modern stuff. The thing that is changing slightly, very, very slightly is as sort of preferences and design in baselines have advanced, the thing we're getting now is like not merely chromatic baselines, but baselines that glissando between pitches. So it would be meaningless to call them microtonal. It's not like they're hitting intermediate tones. They're just glissandoing continuously through all of them. Um, so what we've got in Got the Beat is an incredible hook. Um, this like filtered out, distorted um, like vocal sample, which is suggesting minor. And then a vocal part that comes in, which hits a major third. And it means you've got this like incredible major minor dissonance, like implied minor from the, the, the backing part and the major being hammered in the, in the vocal part. Um, yeah, along with the, the classic flat six mitolydian mode where you're getting the the like darkened minor sounding top end of the scale with the major third being like the, the focal point of it uh, harmonically. Um, yeah, this is like pulling out all of those old tropes and reinserting it into an aesthetic, which is like slightly more like formally trap influence probably is drawing it, like aesthetically from drill baselines as well. It's a bit more like slippery and slidey. Um, it's cool as shit. Um, these baselines rule and it's I think they're going to become like a more consistent feature because a track that came out literally in the last couple of days is NCT Dream's Glitch Mode Crash that, bring it back which takes almost identical tools, um, which is, uh, again, ambiguous major minor, leaning towards major in the vocal parts, but uh, a chrom- not meaning chromatic, a glissando unpitched loose bass line that just like hovers around the tonic without offering much of a, like, a, a sense of tone. This sort of like seems to be a, like a little like modern of evolution of the SM formula. There is still very much the formula that we've been talking about, but like the, the liquor paint it's got is very cool and I'm into it. And if it's going to give us stuff that says like double-edged and poisonous as step back, and if it's going to give us stuff as like fizzy and like effervescent and, and like I, it's a my is compelling as glitch mode. I'm really excited. Yeah. We'll see where they go with it. Whew. Okay. We've, we've, we've denied the Esper switch for long yeah. enough. All right. Esper, 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 Esper. Um, uh, what a fascinating year. So obviously they had their huge uh, breakout hit with uh, Next Level, mm-hmm. which I mean, cards on the table. I didn't like it a lot. Nah, not at all. I, clearly, clearly, my opinions do not matter because everybody else went bananas for it. 
Yeah. Uh, like, and then they, yeah. Sorry, just like, to, to be clear, like, the, like, Black Mamba did well. Next Level seemed to be the sort of thing where, like, oh, well, we're we talking about one of the next, like, truly dominant groups in K-pop. That's the, that's the level we're talking about. Which is genuinely surprising to me because it felt like such a mid-track. <laughs> Um, the thing is that they followed up with Savage, which is one of the most fascinating and bizarre, and I think like incoherent messes, but most interesting incoherent messes I've ever heard. I, I didn't, I didn't know I had been waiting for SM to look at. I got a, uh, I got a boy, and then like go, mm, we could do one better. Exactly, uh. exactly. Um, full on like, Esper seem to be the group that they want to make the hyper pop K-pop group. Um, mm-hmm. They are ex- extremely obviously taking not only aesthetic cues, but wholesale sounds out of hyperpop producers. Uh, if anyone who doesn't know, hyperpop is a sort of like new lane in pop music. Probably just go like type it into Spotify, look at the playlist that comes up and you'll get a sense for what's going on. Um, it's um, all ab- like, if you know who 100 Gex are, you have a, you have a sense. Um, super abrasive, um, clangy, metallic, uh, uh, like p- particularly uh, percussion. Um, really bold dance music influence bass lines and synths um and a sort of like heft and chunkiness that um uh you know you can also listen to savage it's literally just stealing straight from that sound um like a clean Which is also fun because brutal, i think a lot of yeah, brutal lot of metallic of, and concrete sort of like vibe going on here yeah yeah a lot of uh hip-hop producers have also pointed specifically to k-pop as an influence so yeah. it's really fun to watch k-pop go hmm Let's go for that. Exactly, yeah. But I mean, it, it, this is the this is the classic thing. Like how K-pop uh, this digests. This is how culture works. Anyway. Exactly. The, how K-pop digests other innovations, being reincorporated, mm-hmm. um, is just like the whole thing that rules. So, uh, yeah. Well, to start with, Savage happened, which you know, like it's fascinating. The thing it did, like very explicitly, it's got Umru snare number four or something like that. Literally just as the as the snare sound for the whole track. Like this is someone opened up Splice, picked out the sample from the famous hyperpop producer Umru, and ran with it. Um, it's also very clear that like a bunch of the techniques that the hyperpop producers know about to try and smooth through the transition between like brutal sound design and harmonic interest, um, or alternatively, like they don't have the job or interest in adding in like R and B vocal harmony means they don't need to do the stitch job in the first place. Uh, leaves them sort of like scrambling to figure out how to do, uh, scrambling to figure out how to like make that marriage happen. And yeah, for their, us, ans- yeah. their answer is let's not do any stitching work whatsoever. Mm-hmm. To the point where Savage is a genuinely polytonal track by the end of the end of the like final chorus. Um, the implied harmony of uh, implied key of the baseline is not the same as the implied key of the vocal lead is not the same as the key of the ad libs And you've got all of these like flying against each other, not working against each other whatsoever, but just like being so assertive and confident in their performance. They're just like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, 
I think it fundamentally misunderstands what hyperpop is and how it works. But the fact that it's like doing this productive misunderstanding is very, very funny. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think, I think even if you aren't full on up on your music theory, et cetera, like I am, I think you still get the sense from everything we've just said that like, this is a very experimental track and it's a very, almost a confrontational listen, right? There's a lot about it that feels jagged and sharp. Um, and so to see it have like wild mainstream success is, uh, for me, encouraging. Mm. So I would love to hear it. And, and I think the thing I was telling you about, right, was that like the week after it came out, I got to hear it in its natural environment. And its natural environment is piped over the shitty speakers at my like local Hong Kong style diner. Like, so good. Eating a thing of like deep fried French toast and drinking milky tea to Espa Savage. Like, that is how I want to live my life. <sighs> Glorious. It's great. Glorious. It shouldn't work. And it kind of doesn't, but it's still fascinating. And yeah. yet in the same way that we talked about, like Itzy was sort of broaching this territory before with like similarly like chunky bass lines and broaching hyperpop metallic percussion. They never were like quite so like firmly in genre territory. Um, and this is just like, if Itzy set the template for a year or, year or two and will obviously continue to do their own thing. Espo seem to be setting a template or at least a lane of their own to some degree. We'll see who like crashes through it alongside them. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how much take up there is for this because it's clearly like, there's clearly energy behind it. Absolutely. Uh, you will notice we have not talked at all about the whole Avatar Kwangya thing. Uh, so moving on. <laughs> Uh, we want to check in on the boys, probably. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that NT, we were NT, like, NT, the boys NT maybe not as they, compelling, but... No, NCT happened and they kept happening. Oh my god. Uh, I think the really big standout tracks that came out of the entire NCT project over the year, I would say, are Hello Future, uh, the NCT Dreams kind of late-in-the-year uh, title track, which is fun. And I think you can see bits of that, the, the, the new SM template that we were talking about in Hello Future, mm. uh, employed towards a much more kind of upbeat cheerful kind of vibe, kind of energy. Uh, the big, I think the big standout was NCT 127's sticker, uh, mostly because of that flute. Like, it was one of those instantly divisive yeah. tracks, and mostly what they were divided about was the flute. I loved yeah. it. Fl it took me a good. little while, nah, but it was I, good. I was in on sticker immediately. Um, I don't think it's one of their best tracks. It just, like, I, I always just, like, had that, like, uh, I get to be one of the people who knows they like this dumb track. That's it. That's a good thing to be able to say. I got what you need. What I need, girl, I can show you need. Here, the problem with was fundamentally though they just sort of like started and then never really took their foot off the gas in a way that meant that everything felt slightly rushed and maybe incoherent. The NCTU project this year, which was uh, Universe? Universe. 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 That's the one. The fact that I can't remember what it is and the fact that it left so little impression should be a relative guide as to 
you know, what the sort yeah, of like I, I remember the uh, NCT 127 sticker album repackage song, favorite, the vampire one, way better <laughs> than I remember the title for the NCTU big fanfare, which was, to refresh everyone's memory, universe brackets, let's play ball. Let's uh, and play then, ball. Yeah, 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 it's a horrible hook. It's, it's an not. absolutely terrible hook. Um, it's let's play ball, let's play ball, let's play ball, yo, you're my universe. Yeah. Not even Mark. Not even Mark can sell that, no. Uh, So, uh, oh, and the, uh, and then the, the second kind of title off of that was Beautiful, which is this big all-member ballad, um, which is like a well-done NCT ballad. Uh, shout out to their, uh, producers and whoever mixed that track for making 21 people's voices all sound distinct. Like, that is an achievement. Absurd. Absurd technical Uh, achievement. But hey. But yeah, the fact that we're, we're, we're kind of scrambling because, like, fundamentally, the NCT 127 stuff was not their best, and we have very high standards for them. NCT Dream are already, in my, like, I know you like Hello Future, I think they've already blown out Hello Future, and Hot Sauce was also last year. Hot Sauce, I was confused. Oh, damn, yeah, it was. Hot Sauce was last year, and also I was surprised and confused about how big it got, because I didn't like it nearly as much as a bunch of other NCT stuff, uh, NCT Dream stuff that hasn't got nearly as big. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the um, the the fun of glitch mode is absolutely like pushing this over the top for me. Uh, glitch mode is like one of the the most fun things NCT has put out in a good eighteen months or so. Yeah, shout out for them uh, filming a music video in a Best Buy. Exactly. Oh my god. <laughs> a cool Best Buy. <laughs> cool Best Buy. Don't worry. Um, it's um. Yeah, it's a track where it described uh, the, uh, the uh, pre-chorus as, like, diving into a... What was it? Diving into a swimming pool full with um, mango juice? Yeah, full of mango juice. Yeah. Specifically mango juice, that was... It has it. to be mango juice. It's, 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 the, 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 like, back and forth is between, like... The, like, I don't know. We talked about how um, Esper feels like, you know, uh, concrete and metal and... You know, like that. I'm, I'm trying to come up with a materials reference for what uh, glitch mode sounds like, and you know, uh, like sh- shiny CD material and chucking CDs in a bathtub. Yeah, this is this is going places. This is clearly making a lot of sense. Let's move on before I get myself into even more look, elaborate and inscrutable metaphors. Look, I'm all I'm saying that the the default mode for our usual yearly NCT check is usually leaves off with the question of. Does SM know what they're doing? To which the answer is always no. Yeah, it's just um, we felt it this year. We've really felt it. Yeah, I, and yeah, right, exactly. I think the end of 2021 was like a real worrying, like, oh, oh, they really don't know what they're doing. <laughs> but I will say, as again, there are a lot of indications, I think, early into 2022, where it looks like they're doing something quite different with the project in a way that does make me, and again, watch us clown ourselves when we come back with a retrospective at the end of 2022, Yep. Um, yeah, makes me have hope that someone somewhere within SM Entertainment kind of maybe sort of gets what they could be doing with all 23 boys. Yeah. Or at least some of the all 23 boys. <laughs> Justice for Hendery. Yeah. We're, we are going to clown ourselves continually. This is just going to be what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Should we go on to some boy groups who did bit more interesting, fun things? Yeah, for sure. Um... 
Yeah, again, we were going through all a lot of the big releases, including all the NCT stuff, and we felt like there were a lot of songs that kind of like fell into the black hole that of aggression that sometimes boy group uh, singles can get. Like, yes, they lean in so hard to the like aggressive, athletic, um, kind of sound that they kind of fall so deep within it that we'll never see them again. They're just lost, <laughs> lost forever. Yeah. Um, because that can lead to something that feels quite heavy and honestly a bit monotonous, right? Like mm-hmm. really, you you get to the first course and you're like, cool, I know how the rest of the track will go. And that's why we want to call out the boys. The boys, <laughs> the boys won Road to Kingdom and decided to use this as a springboard to absolutely just blowing up. Um, in the the most fun best way possible, um, like no shade on the other like the other groups in Road to Kingdom, and some of whom are like absolute favourites of mine. But like fundamentally, the boys have like found a like a little niche of like hyper. Well, in in a way that eighties and straight kids to me feel hyperactive in a way that is like sometimes unmanageable because it's so like aggressive and in your face. The boys feel sort of like, uh, like hyperactive in a way that's like hysterical and wide-eyed and very fun. Um, and both Thrill Ride and Maverick, one being the like, like the effervescent shiny pop track, and the other being like their version of the like aggro, like ma- macho one. Both mm. just like, like have a sort of like fury behind the eyes that I just like really really love, and probably make them the best version of both of these sorts of tracks that I heard this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, it's ju- it's just very cool when you see a boy group just like you know hit hit the hit the accelerator like this. Um, we had it, we've had it variously with eighties Stray Kids TXT in the last little while. All of whom I really really like. Just think this is the boys' turn. Um, yeah. If we can move on very quickly, probably the strangest and most fun individual boy group track though, "Beautiful Beautiful" by ONF, which is ah uh, yeah. Delightful. This Absolutely is not. Delightful. This is not news. It, it topped a lot of other people's yeah. <laughs> best of the year. Turns out, um, a we're basic. B it's just really good. <laughs> so, as a track, as a track, it's. Hmm, we talked a bunch about camp, particularly in boy groups, um, and this is not. This is not what I would describe as camp because camp feels like it needs to rely on a sense of self knowing and a sense of, like, deliberate aesthetic self-sabotage. Um, uh, other schools of camp uh, are available. Obviously, obviously. Uh, please this is, check your this local... Is, check your local <laughs> queer theorist. <laughs> um, this, is, this is but one interpretation. Anyway. Yeah. Um, to me, Beautiful Beautiful is just straight up homoerotic. <laughs> um, it is straight up, like, po-faced, sincere about its ridiculous, shiny, cyberpunk dystopia... Um, liberation narrative video as you can get it is like absolutely wearing it heart on chest uh, heart on sleeve uh, the, the chest sleeve and heart are all in some physical arrangement that implies it's really, sincerity it is, it is entirely right like 100% committed to going all in it is it is one of those tracks where the sheer enthusiasm powers through any cringe you may or may not have had towards the part where like this dude is definitely hoverboarding down like a data center Exactly, um, but the, the 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 vehicle for this is also just like like leather pants and like uh, like uh, short shorts and like sleek visors and ridiculous yeah like 
uh, <laughs> harness all, all the like classic fashion ways of doing slightly, you know, uh, lefty, well, not leftist. I was going to say left of center. I'm trying to say queer ass queer, but without saying it deliberately, because that was just like the thing that was screaming to me all the way through. Um, it screams <laughs> the other kind of musical theater, not the, the stray kids, um, uh, backdoor, like knowing and dainty and careful. Now this is like full throated. Like I like I'm singing show tunes at you. Um, like, belting on stage because this is my passion shit. Um, right, rocking it, highlighter yellow hair. Because, exactly. Yeah. It's ridiculous and I love it. Um, and the song has like slamming triads and big brass in it. And it's it's like the, uh, the the boy group equivalent of a big band track. It's incredible. But it's right. not, let's which is, which not like even a, a big sp- band track, more a, more a fucking marching band track. It's, yeah. yeah, which like again, like the fact that we've we've used the word uh, cyberpunk dystopia so many times to reference it, you would assume it would be something a bit like colder, a bit more like synth heavy. It's not. It no, really no, isn't. Not at it's all. like brassy and big and in your face. And also like shout out to the acapella bridge. Yes, I love it. Drops everything else uh, just for a little moment of like, and now it's just you and us in a, in a room as we kind of acapella at you. But th- like that really adds to the to that kind of like full on amateurish, and I mean that in the sort of like for the love of the thing sense, right? Vibe that I get out of it, like it feels like they're doing it because they're really really enjoying it. Exactly, it's just um, it's so fucking joyous and gleeful right. about what it's doing. Um, I I cannot get enough of this video and this song. It's Look, impeccable well, and the yeah. Mm-hmm. I, what I'm, I am I'm just saying giddy with this it, is yeah. off script. Is that if you listened to my universe and went, this is disappointing. Listen to beautiful, beautiful, and let that erase all memory <laughs> of that really like po faced, dour, surprisingly desaturated video, like. It's like, I can tell you, you had approximately several hundred, like, million more dollars to work with uh, Coldplay, but, like, you got beat by ONF, all right? Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Oh. Um, yeah, it, it got a bunch of nods for, for track of the year, and deservedly so. Um, it's not going to be, like, the most individually spectacular. Well, I keep, I keep wanting to hedge. I shouldn't keep hedging. It's just really right. good. I'm just gonna cut that hedge. It doesn't need to be hedged. It's really good. Um, yeah. Okay. So we talked a bunch about the bo- uh, the boy groups. Um, so where are the girl groups? Um, so weekly. Oh, we, sorry. Yeah, we mentioned weekly at the start of uh, last year. 
we talked about, ah, Weekly had sort of like poked through in the, the very first months with some of the coolest, um, like, girl group stuff. And it turned out that um, After School, which was the track that they released in, uh, in March that year, still just absolutely impeccable. One of the best <laughs> examples of that, like, bubbly, bright uh, girl group pop songs. And then also just like three weeks ago, four weeks ago now, Vampada came out, which is their, like, take on Girl Crush. Girl Crush being, for the uninitiated, one of the, like, dominant um, uh, concepts or vibes in girl groups at the moment, which is basically, I'm really hot, you want me, I'm really cool. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously with a long lineage, but with a, you know, with, with obviously, like, an updated aesthetic as time has progressed. Um, and yeah, Vampada's just great. And I'm just, like, very, very excited that, like, we could clearly have the range to do more than just the bubblegum girl, girl group stuff. Yep. Um, Let girl groups have a moronic as well, all right? Exactly, exactly. Um, I'm going to want to add another one into the um, bubblegum pop songs, though, for Cherry Bullet, because yeah. uh, uh, Love So Sweet is one of the, like, coolest, most, like, focused and taut versions of one of those like up-tempo like slightly twicey pop songs It's like a masterful use of all the uh, the anticlimax choruses and drops, um, as well as just like just excellent, excellent, really subtle dance music sound design shot through all of it. Um, it snuck out all the way back in January last year, and I'm shocked they didn't discover it then, because Cherry Bullet mm-hmm. have always been one of those groups that I keep an eye on because I think they're really, really good at what they do, even if they haven't like blown massively. Uh, yeah. So I guess what we talked about as some was a bit of a really, really just kind of a. A lie in that we constrained it too hard. <laughs> I think it's safe to say, like, when we're going through this, we're looking back at it, and it's like, I think the girl groups just had a more interesting year than the boy oh, groups. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In 2021. Um, I mean, that has kind of sort of been the case for a while. Mm, so, uh, yeah. this is really me criticizing myself for not paying more attention <laughs> to that. But, uh, yeah, no, come, come journey with me as we finally wake the fuck up. Exactly. Uh, stop sleeping on this. I mean, I mean, we're allowed to we're allowed to have our preferences. We're allowed to have our, our go tos. I don't think I'll ever stop being a, a shiny stand. But right now, I think this is where the coolest shit is. Um, and yeah, so honorable it, mentions to uh, Ivy's debut, Eleven. Yeah. Um, I. Well, wait, I no, no. I. Uh, mm, okay, spelled <laughs> all caps. I V E. This is a common thing. I I don't know how to pronounce it. It's supposed to be what. What did we find? It was like supposed to be a contraction for have. I I have so like I, I apostrophe okay. ve. So I'm gonna say I've if I'm wrong. Well, oh wait, hang on. There's Hangul in the um video title, so I'm gonna look oh, up what God. those characters are. Um, give me one. I've, yeah, I've I've I've. Yeah. Okay. There we go. <laughs> the the other way I was gonna do it was wait for the uh, uh for their fandom name to drop and try to like extrapolate from that. Which, again, um, special shout yes. out. Weekly's fandom name is Daily, and it's cute, damn it. Yeah. Daily with three E's at the end instead of a yes. one. Yes. I'm, I'm putting my money on Ives being Weave, because I think that's just such a natural, obvious way to do it. 
and wouldn't be <laughs> cringe. Um, yeah, but like watch them go out of their way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Eleven <laughs> oh. um, is a great debut track. Came out December last year. Um, already gone like spectacularly successful. Um, and yeah, like sets them up to be in the sort of similar lane to someone like G Idol, which I really, really enjoyed in the last little while, last few years. Of like, yes, it's like hip hoppy pop pop uh, girl group stuff, but it's on that sort of like slightly more restrained and slightly more like sophisticated slow down stuff. And that like the the like the sense of control and mastery is like palpable and very very cool. And um, yeah, I want to see what they get up to. I, I feel like you buried the lead here a little bit because when we say slow down, we mean literally the pre-chorus slows the entire yes. tempo of the song right down. Like, legitimately, first time I heard it, was like, oh, is this, like, the YouTube compression screaming? Then they did it again for the second pre-course. I was like, oh, yeah. it's on purpose. This is great. And obviously, it's like... I think, like, we don't hear that very often because it is a risky thing to put in your song. But I think that even for an audience that is accustomed to, like, all the kind of, like, crazy modal swaps that happen in K-pop, a, 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 a tempo change halfway through your song that is uh, noticeable, dramatic, and sudden is still something that can be really hard to listen to. Like, it feels really off, but that's kind of the point. Like, it, like, like arrests you. It forces you to stop, pay attention, and then it just, like, kicks back up into gear for the chorus. It's great. Yeah. Uh, uh, having a fucking ritardando in the middle of your K-pop track is not a thing that people normally do, but they yeah. pulled it off, and it's pretty fucking spectacular. Um, Hell Yeah. Yeah, another one I want to give a shout out to is Stacey, who I like. I don't think any of the individual traps hit the level that we've been talking about for the other girl group traps that we're really, really into, but they've been so consistently good as soon as they debuted that I'm just like, they want to keep an eye out. There is one group that we do need to talk about, though. Um, no, there's one group we got. There's one song we got to talk about before we do that one. That, 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 oh. Because it is, yeah. it does definitely fit in the kind of like cultural reception thing, and it's funny. So here's the interlude: A Pink's Dilemma. Yes, yes, it not is. a bad song. Maybe not the, uh, maybe you know, not quite to the heights of some of the uh, the ones that we really, really loved over the year. But A Pink's Dilemma. Um, Uh, I'm trying to find a way to kind of like bracket it, and there really isn't. Okay, so the there song's isn't. called Dilemma. The chorus be- re- involves that word being repeated over and over again, but the stress on it is really weird, such that it sounds to apparently everyone in Hong Kong, or really any Cantonese speaker, exactly like how you say fuck your mom in Cantonese. <laughs> you lay ma. 
so this is a this is a sad maudlin song about you know uh, how I want your love but you're not returning it to me. I have such a great dilemma. Fuck your mom. Fuck your mom. <laughs> fuck your mom. Fuck your mom. And my favorite part is when they like whisper dilemma in exactly the stream, which is like dilemma, dilemma, like the, the stress is on the last syllable, don't know why. Uh, and they just kind of like sensuously whisper into each other's ears and I just completely lost it. Completely lost it, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I don't even speak Cantonese, obviously. And this is still just like, Fuck your mom scans perfectly. Fuck your mom scans perfectly. And then also you get the incredible like circulation of APIC members finding out and videos of them live reacting to you discovering the fact that they've put out a track that everyone in South China in Hong Kong thinks says fuck your mom. Uh, yeah. The great, the great thing is, like, I have the subs turned on for the English translation, and if you do think of it as like your mother disapproves of this relationship, it works. It still works. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Shout out to Apink. Yeah, I, I mean, like, this is also just a good time to remember Apink are incredible. Like, in the last four years, they put out like four of my favorite girl group tracks of, of forever. Like. Dum Dum, Yung Yung, I'm So Sick, all are like absolute, mm -hmm. absolute all-timers. Like, they'll be back to producing incredible pieces of music very shortly. But for now, they're the, they're the group that put out that track that, that, that says, fuck your mom. On Valentine's Day, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Uh, it's not really a segue, but it got us on the topic of cultural phenomena. Yeah, let's I think talk the, about it. The undisputed biggest one of 2021 has to be Brave Girls Resurgence with Roland. Yeah. So Roland is a track that came out how long ago? Dear Lord. 2017. Yeah. Once again, time is a lie. Yeah, this is like, it feels like a, we're bringing it back from a track that is only five years old. Like, could have been a thing I heard at the time and might have been into. It's a really good track. Like, no mistaking it. Just like a really, really good sort of like housey pop track. Um, and then specifically because um, of a video edit uh, collecting together performances of Roland being performed to soldiers during their mandatory military service. Um, mm -hmm. This blew up in Korea. Um, and yeah, like it's, so on the first level, like it's a really, really cool that like a group that was pretty much like in the doldrums, didn't really have much of a future, was at risk for disbanding anytime soon could just be completely resuscitated by like a, this random cultural phenomenon just like rocketing it up to become like one of the biggest and most successful singles of the year five years yeah, after. I think it it beat Twice's record for longest consecutive number of days at the top of the digital records in yeah. Korea, hit the, hit if the, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the five would all kill for, with a yeah. Record, yeah. Um, like that's unprecedented. Um, for a mm -hmm. group with such little profile and um, completely un unexpectedly. And yeah, um, it's also just like a, a wild story about like, so like 
the, 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 the killer frame in this edit, and we'll link the video in the description, is oh, as absolutely. it goes as it goes through, just like as it gets the to the soldiers freaking out about the chorus and like copying the dance moves, um, is all the YouTube comments from the various performances, one of which says they can win a war with this song. Um, yeah. It's probably a good point to like let people in on the like backstory of why we needed to take a fucking year to like figure out what we were up to, uh, up to with this <laughs> stuff, which yeah. is that we we tried to make an episode about nationalism, masculinity, and K-pop in particular um, with Wei V, um, NCT's Chinese unit, because China had clearly been interested in massive sorts of both state management of the cultural reception of Korean cultural products but also in the management of presentations of masculinity in media. And that was like a, te- uh, like a thing that we wanted to talk about and that we thought Wavy was a really interesting case study in because it was like simultaneously like embracing this like push within Chinese media, but also like masking its Korean roots to some yep. greater or lesser degree. It's a complex, interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. And then the news just completely overtook us with like uh, individuals being banned and like some rankly homophobic stuff being like instituted within media regulation within China, like right. But also what? at the same time, like really high profile uh, accusations of sexual assault directed yeah. at, frankly, a lot of like Chinese idols who got their start in K-pop. Yes, yes. Um. So, so we, we basically like, didn't know well, what the hell to do with. The yeah, content. we're gonna put this one back in the oven for another couple. <laughs> Yeah, and, and effectively the news kept happening faster than we could keep up with it. And we sort of put it on ice until we needed to figure out how to reapproach it. Um, this is all to say, like, there is a reductive story to tell about, like, K-pop being, like, simply about Korean national interests. And that is evidently not true. And, like, the richness, richness of both, like, like the uh, like the local culture and the way it continually expresses itself is like the thing that not, we can't. Not to mention a simplistic about. a simplistic uh, gendered narrative of it being all fangirls. Yes, exactly. Um, right. Both who the audience is and the the um, like who the productive class is is just like completely right. completely incorrect. Like the fact that the the, the mass audience for Roland is like soldiers as opposed to fangirls is like perfect case in point for that. But it's also just like. Uh, the, the, the a much more subtle but like in complete imbrication of like the ways that like sexuality and particularly masculinities get presented through K-pop, and then also the idea of like national culture um, and like the use of culture within like the, the the breeding of nationalism is just like constantly right at the surface in all uh, in all realms of culture, but in particular with K-pop because of its like th- the ability for like stuff that gets surfaced, particularly through its relationship with, like, military service and the state. Um, like, there is uh, so much more to talk about than just, like, the simplistic, like, national directive narrative, because you get stuff like Roland happening. Um, yep. And and also, by the way, by the way lest, lest uh, we leave you with the impression that it's simply, well, I guess simply a case of, like, oh, uh, soldiers who, who are, you know, regular people who suddenly have like 18 months of their lives constrained by this like hyper-regulated environment going absolutely nuts for some pretty girls. Uh, one of the things that the comments also notes is that this is a dance that is passed down from, we could call it like generations of military service, that there are a lot of comments talking about like, oh, my seniors in the military, like conscripts who have been there for longer, taught me this dance. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, really, really happy for Brave Girls getting that break. 
Yes. They've come back since with a, a 2022 comeback, I believe. Yeah. Uh, the title track is called you. Thank You. Yeah. Pretty, I think, on its face about what it is. Like, thank you for letting us come back. Like, thank you for helping us kind of return. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the great, I think, like, truly one of the great underdog stories of 2021 of, of the industry, but also one that carries with it this, like, it's like, oh, there's a lot here to go through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whew. Oh, um, what an interesting thing. What an interesting thing. Um, yeah. So we talked about the, the, the big cool phenomena. There are other big things that happen in K-pop, and they're called BTS and Blackpink, and they do did very much happen last year. We I mean, I guess I made them, that yeah. dig at my universe. <laughs> really? Okay, yeah. yeah. <sighs> Coldplay. Oh, the Coldplay. In case you can tell. No. Yeah. We're not massively enthused by either BTS or Blackpink's output from the last year. Yeah. Dynamite was cool. It crossed over. It was great. Got shine. Uh, Butter was but- fun. Butter uh, was okay. I didn't think it was as good as Dynamite. Like I don't. No, know Dynamite's better. Yeah. <laughs> Look, uh, once again, it doesn't really matter what we say. They're Both BTS and Blackpink are at that stage where they are so big, they will sustain themselves. And they yeah. are going from strength to strength to strength, um, which is cool to see. I hope it continues for them. I just haven't liked their recent output as much as some of their uh, older stuff. Yeah. Once again, Love Yourself tier and Wings, top tier albums. Exactly, exactly. Um, that is the hill I will die on for uh, for, for BTS errors of choice. And I don't. Oh, think that's a, obviously. Yeah, and I don't think that's an unreal, unreasonable stance to have because it's like, I, I also don't think it's a particularly uncontroversial take among people who are like K-pop watching in various degrees. Like BTS excising the like very specific K-pop flavor of genre smashing or like Korean what digesting through Korean cultural sensibilities Western pop forms rather like entering fully into the Western like production cycle, production style. Um, and doesn't like, do it yeah. for me. Yeah. I mean, just like, why would I be paying attention to them over other Western groups and the selling points start diminishing and diminishing unless either the performances are singularly exceptional or the uh, songwriting is singularly exceptional. Dynamite was close to being that, but it wasn't. And you can sort of leave it at that. We'll see what the future holds for that, I will say. I mean, they have... The interesting... The, the kind of... The kind of promise of that has always been, like, BTS can now do quite literally anything they want. And their past output has shown us that, like, when they get to do... true, Like, they're capable of some really, really interesting, really good, really uh, incisive music. I want that not even necessarily in english i mean again if that's what they want to do more power to them uh they're making oodles of money they're fine (laughs) (laughs) us putting out this uh podcast will not stop them at all they are they are the 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 titans right now exactly so uh blackpink yeah so (laughs) blackpink have in a in a weird ass spot given that well they, are they haven't effectively... put anything out as a group for a year, right? Yeah. Like, since how you like that. They um they had the the like a, a, another live project release, which is fine. Um, there's nothing there's nothing remarkable new about it. Like, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. 
and they're also stuck in this this um, unfortunate situation where YG is like not imploding necessarily. They're not going to like disappear by any stretch, but like they are clearly no longer the force. They clearly don't have the other acts to sort of support them and like cultivate like a brand around Blackpink. They are like very very singularly the only thing going in their lane. They're still <laughs> immensely popular. It's just that like it seems very very thin right now. Yeah, I feel like that was kind of exemplified. So the the big Blackpink output this year was the solo releases for Rose and Lisa. Um, the Rose ones are fine. The Lisa ones... Sorry, Rose, I forgot the thing. Uh, the Lisa ones are... Less fine. I hate to say it, but less fine. Like, the... Okay, the kindest thing I can say about Lolisa is that the bridge, which brings in like the the kind of uh, traditional Thai instruments and instrumentation, that kind of really sumptuous like sets, uh, the costumes and stuff. Like I really like that. And if it had been, if that track had been like that, I would have liked it. It wasn't. I didn't. We were kind of resistant to talk about it anymore because. Yeah. I mean, I, this no, is, you would have nothing. had a full hour of us doing this with like more yeah. awkward pauses. Yeah, we we just made awkward pauses and like moderately shitted on tracks that we don't like that much. This is the point. Like, it's a couple of scattershot singles from artists who we really rate and want to be really good that we just didn't turn out very well. Um, and the problem is like that's all we've got to go. And like they, this isn't the case where like ah oh, well the B sides were really good or ah oh, well like the solo stuff landed, but this. The, well, like, the main stuff didn't land, but the solo stuff was really good. Like, there wasn't anything to, like... Right. Yeah, there wasn't anything to, like, balance it out, because, like, it's so thin on the ground right now. Yeah. Yeah. So to desperately wrench it into a more positive direction, though, <laughs> right? Like, well, I say positive direction. We got... We, we mentioned a little bit, like, YG... Doesn't seem to be okay. I don't know how they're doing. I mean, I guess for YG, there is, um, there's the Big Bang comeback that's scheduled for, uh, early April, 2022. Uh, now, of course, they're a four-member group. So yes. we'll yeah. see how that goes for not only them, because obviously, like, I think all eyes are on Big Bang being one of the big second-gen groups, and this very much feels like a second-gen group resurgence, and we will also see, like... How mandatory military service has affected the trajectory of their careers and kind of what happens. Um, we'll see. Like, yeah. we'll see. We'll see what it means for Big Bang, the group, but also for YG Entertainment writ large, I think. <laughs> um, because this is also happening against a backdrop of this, like, increasing corporate consolidation. Big Hit 8, Cletus, and they're now called Hybe Entertainment. Moving, I think, quite successfully from the space of singular label to doing the thing that all of the K-pop group or the the K-pop like conglomerates had done over the previous five years, which is like shift into these like full spectrum is what usually gets called the music industry, like covering not only um, artist management but also production and um licensing and retail and um live events and so on and so on like it feels right. like uh a, a hype 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 why we, how hype, h-y-b-e hype. h-y-b-e entertainment yeah. uh-huh um 
yeah, uh, they're, <laughs> they're on the track to do exactly that, which seems, I mean, neither good nor bad in the grand scheme of things. This is corporate machinations that, like, fundamentally, like, you know, it, it's corporate machinations. But it's a thing to watch out for. We're going to have, like, another player in a space that has not entirely been dominated by SM, but I think, like, legitimately we're going to have a, a vehicle to rival SM's, like, big beam of power, like, emerging over time. Yeah, but speaking of SM, it turns out yes. their strategy for this is like, we're going to get acquired by something even bigger, a yes. TV conglomerate. Exactly. Uh, or Kakao, or right, which controls one of the major uh, music distribution and uh-huh. streaming platforms. Uh, as of recording, we, yeah. <laughs> it seems unclear who's kind of in the right, like who's who's going to win that bid. But. Exactly. Business news is like back and forth because no, uh, both CJ Entertainment and Kakao are like, variously like either in the running or out the running depending on who you ask at any time of the month but it seems like very real that sm will merge into what will either be um either a massive internet-based media platform or a massive brick and mortar retail and tv broadcast platform and conglomerate it both in both of which um would give it massive massive like you know not just inroads, would like make it knee hegemonic among some of the like basic infrastructure of the Korean like retail and internet spaces. It obviously was already that before. They were obviously like massively in, in cahoots with each other before. It's just that like we're talking about companies that have like expanded to like be in inverted commas full spectrum in a way that no Western media company has ever been able to. Like the yeah. t- Time Warner or whatever might similarly publish uh, like or like produce a bunch of, uh, have a bunch of record companies attached and a bunch of um, media uh, media outlets attached and a bunch of newspapers. But like fundamentally, they're not the same entity and they're not controlled by the same people for the same interests. And it feels like, particularly with with, um, with this, this current round of talks, the intention is very much to like have something that is like incredibly integrated in a way that like, we don't ever really see. So like, I don't know what you should be scared about for like absolute monopolization of media channels, um, but it might be coming. We'll see. Uh, on the other hand, I think not even SM's behemoth juggernaut corporate power can make NCT Hollywood take off in 2022. So that's my prediction. Whew. Uh, yeah, I, I like doing business news is like, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm speculating, regurgitating other people's articles and good takes. I hope we don't see, like, actual catastrophic industry effects or indeed, like, lockouts and corporate favouritism stuff. But uh, at the same... Who knows? We're out of our depth here. Exactly. At the same time, like... There are some certainties in life. Exactly. The certainty is they still won't know what the hell to do with the NT... uh, (laughs) uh, Sorry, NCT project. (laughs) <laughs> and more specifically, the NCT project they announced in 2021, NCT Hollywood, that's right, an American branch. Oh, uh, Jesus. Jesus. No, it's not going to work. I, I only I only wonder if it's going to be like Wonder Girls, like YG tries in America level, or if, I don't know, they're partnering with American labels to try to scout talent. But it's very confusing, and there's been no real news forthcoming, and we'll see if anything happens. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I feel like the energy that all the Western, like, f- attention has been sucking up 
at least pre-pandemic, has been thoroughly directed back towards um, VR and AR content and Esper now. Yeah. Esper both as a group, but also like Kwangya as the extended like concept and marketing strategy to tie the whole of SM together at present. And I think we're likely to see some some like similar things like being like dragged along with it. Like the push towards virtual concerts seems like it's going to be here to stay specifically because like it's a thing that is sustainable alongside and probably like is augmented by actually having ordinary concerts happening. Whereas... Ordinary concerts, what a dream. I know, I know, dear God. But yeah. I'm really um, excited because I'm going to Epic High's one. Yeah. Um, Which became Epic High came back. It was great. Um, don't really have anything else. They're very much their own thing at this point because they've exactly, been going yeah. on so long, and they can credibly claim, as they say in their one of their uh, uh, title tracks, like, yeah, they like they they pave the way for everyone who's paving the way. Like they just they just kind of do their own thing. Um, listen to it. We didn't really include it in the track. That's kind of a bit of a brain fart. But then it's sort of like, well. They're their own thing. Go. Great. Great uh, album. Yeah. And I think I've got a long delayed gig ticket for Barming Tiger and Omega Sapien in yeah. a couple months time. Again, very much not K-pop. Very much just like independent K-hip-hop K- stuff. But like, still very excited about that. And they're fucking coming to small cities in the UK. What's going on? Madness. <laughs> Um, I mean, they're only coming here because it's definitely a stopover to San Fran. But I'm yes. okay with that. I benefit. Um, Understandable. Yeah, I mean, one of my contenders for album of the year 2022 in the, like, coherent singular thing put together thing. Only discounted from the 2021 running because it was clearly an album in two halves and the second half hadn't come out yet. Yes. So, yes. I'm excited. Excellent. And I, I guess on that sort of, like, more positive note, that's the thing to sort of wrap on. Like, Strange Year really warped by the pandemic, really warped by the, like, change in the release cycle, but, like, with some very cool stuff, including from Shiny, including from the girl groups. And, yeah, like, just some, some good moments along all the all the nonsense. Some... And, like, from the early part of this year, some hopefully promising indicators yeah. of, like, where future trends will go, what release will be put out, and obviously there's also, you know, plenty of room for us to be just completely blindsided. I mean, I fully expect we will be. That's the main thing. Um, right. As as traditionally happens around, uh, I want to say, like, August through October of every year. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> looking forward to see what, yeah. exactly what does it for, for us this year. But I want to yeah, see like, what Onya's solo album is going to be like. Yeah. The, the, the promise shots mini, look hard. Whatever. The promise shots look, look, promise shots look very good. But, yeah. Exciting. 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 Yeah. So, All right. Uh, I guess this is the part where we say you should tell other people about us. We are on Spotify. Spotify keeps recommending us at me, and I guess <laughs> that makes me feel some kind of a way. Yeah. Uh, we're on Spotify. We are wherever you may listen to uh, podcasts. Uh, you can you can give money to the Patreon to sort out our hosting costs at exportord.io. You can yes. find my other podcast, Hot Singles, where some people who are definitely single and definitely hot talk about music. Um, it's very usually. good. You should listen to it. Um, you can find that over at exportord.io forward slash hot singles. No spaces, no dashes. Um, where can we find you on the internet, Claudia? Uh, I guess if you really have to, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
at Claudia oh. W. Wylow. Honestly, if you want to talk uh, this podcast or K-pop more broadly, go to our Twitter account for this uh, for this uh, podcast at Stanontology. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Regression with three S's. Um, yeah. And that, I think, is going to do it. Yeah. We're back. Back, back. Back, baby.